looking to learn more on how to build wealth through real estate? You're in the right place. Welcome to the Make Money Make Sense podcast with Dante Belmonte. Each episode, we have the privilege to bring you a professional in the real estate world. One that will help you become a top investor, whether that's a passive role or managing the day-to-day. Let's jump right in. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Make Money Make Sense. I'm your host, Dante Belmonte. This week, our guest is Spencer Krigler. Spencer is the Director of Brokerage Services and the co-founder of One Alliance Companies. Uh, One Alliance Companies is a brokerage and property management company based out of Charlotte, North Carolina. And uh, Spencer's great. Uh, Spencer brought us a deal late last year that we purchased, and we're uh, having a phenomenal time with that deal. Our investors are making great returns, and we've really stayed connected with Spencer, looking to do some other deals with him as well. So uh, actively working on that, but the reason why I wanted to have Spencer on the show was because he has such a good outlook on uh, the current status of the multifamily market, what interest rates are doing to pricing, pricing expectations, and we also talk a little bit about uh, what we think the future of multifamily is going to hold here and uh, what deals are good, what deals are bad, and how to get creative on deals as well. So really enjoy having Spencer on the show. Hope you guys do too. With that, let's get right into it. Alrighty, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast, Make Money Make Sense. I'm your host, Dante Belmonte, joined by my guest this week, Spencer. Spencer, how are we doing today? Doing good, man. Doing really well. Just been uh, plugging along, trying to uh, navigate the world of commercial real estate in a ever-changing environment. But uh, it's uh, it's definitely challenging. Um, last last few years have, have been really good, and it seems that everything you throw up on the wall kind of sticks. Yep. But I think things are starting to change, and um, I think it'll make it fun, but it will make it challenging. So been been great, been great. Awesome. Yeah, it's been awesome. We uh, we bought a deal from, not directly from you, but you brokered the deal that we bought uh, back in December we did together. Uh, really appreciated working with you. Your professionalism was you know second to none. Um, and excited to talk about that a little bit more, but uh, give sure. us your background. So how'd you get into uh, commercial real estate? How long have you been a commercial real estate broker for? Sure. Yeah. So um, I started commercial real estate in 2016. Um, it was right out of college. I was 23 years old when I got into it. And generally speaking, and I think this will be one of the first times I can say that it's, it's uh, not the case. But generally speaking, I'm always the youngest person in the room, um, which I think that you may be younger than me, which is awesome. 24, uh, baby. <laughs> 24. So I, I, just, I just turned 28. Uh, but when I first started, man, like 23, 24, 25 years old, People can tell, uh, which is not a bad thing. It's really, yeah. not. Um, I had a lot of times where people, you know, w- would ask me like, what, what's your age? They always thought I was, you know, sort of upper twenties. I don't really, I don't think I look it, but maybe I sound like it or um, I'm not sure, but they would be surprised when I told them how young I was. And I yeah. think it actually helped me a little bit because people are like, wow, you're really young in this business and you're, you're starting to do well, you know, let's, let's kind of take you under our wing and, and see what you can do for us with our investments and stuff in the future. So, um, so I got started in 2016. I was in, I was in college. I had no idea what I wanted to do. 
Um, I always envision myself, I'm a big sports fanatic, whether it's basketball, football, golf, baseball, all of the above, uh, just love it. And I always envision myself doing something in those sports, but, you know, whether it's sports marketing or whatnot, but I never really dove in. And my mom who had started, she works with Brown Investment Properties. Um, she got remarried to so her name is Cindy Rosasco. Um, she's one of the top leasing agents in Greensboro. And she has been for a number of years, but she had got started in actual commercial real estate a few years before I did. And she was the one that really pushed me. She said, Hey, look, this is something I think you'd be really good at. You know, you're not uh, the type to, you know, sit, although I do sit at a computer a lot, but <laughs> I'm very active. Uh, you right. know, even though I'm at a computer a lot, like I'm very flexible. I'm constantly on calls and in the car and going to properties and stuff like that. Um, and she just really encouraged me to do it. So I, so I took my real estate license uh, class while I was in college. And as soon as I got out, um, it was like a summer class. As soon as I got licensed, I got out, um, signed on with a firm called Sperry Ness or SVN. They sort of rebranded them themselves, but it was a national firm. Yep. And, uh, I worked there for probably about two years and there's nothing, nothing wrong with that company whatsoever. I just felt like, Hey, it's time for me to take the next step and grow. So I went and I worked for a development company. I really wanted to learn the aspect of development prior to that. You know, I was doing a lot of leasing because I had to get some money on the, on and coming in. I was working a, uh, a bar job at night. I mean, I was probably putting in 70, 80 hours a week, uh, trying to make it work. And so I sort of got a little bit stabilized and decided to go to a development company, learn sort of the inroads about development. I still did brokerage. I did more brokerage than development, but I wanted to understand how land worked. And uh, I, after about a year or so in that company, I decided to link back up with my partner now, which is Frank Sproviero. And he was at SVN when I first originally started on the property management side. So he's like, look, I got property management. I've been doing a lot of leasing. You've been doing a lot of sale brokerage. You know, land development decently well. Um, let's link up. So we, so we started One Alliance Companies we kind of took the um, the thought of, hey, when the times get kind of rough, double down. And so when so COVID hit, it was it was, I guess it was March. COVID hit, things started to really tumble, um, and we started One Alliance Companies, the brokerage and maintenance division, June first of 2020. So really, the perfect time because it started to started to crank back up once we started yep. it. Which was good. So now um, we've been we've been working for about two years under One Alliance. We have a full service management team that manages about 1.5 million square feet in retail office. I think a little bit of like industrial flex type space. Yep. Um, full service brokerage. Uh, we have a full service uh, or a full time leasing broker in-house that handles all of our managed assets um, and about eight other brokers that are either very experienced. Some of them are a little bit new, but have their feet 
you know, sort of settled in the sand. And then a couple that are um, brand new and they, they're going to have to learn the ropes. And, you know, I think we can teach them to do that. And then we have the maintenance division as well. And so the goal of the One Alliance companies is to have, you know, sort of a one-stop shop. If you have, let's say, a shopping center, uh, we, we don't do multifamily management yet. Not, I don't want to close the door on that, but it is yeah. a totally different beast. than it, what, Most definitely. You're dealing with day-to-day people living there. All you know, It's not like a, a business. Like you're saying, you guys do the uh, 1.5 million square feet of office and retail and whatnot, industrial. Yeah, it's just different. I mean, you know, you're, we're not taking calls and stuff about our retail spaces at eight o'clock at night, right? Whereas, or on the weekends, maybe a little bit, but not much. Whereas, multifamily management—that's when the majority. Yeah, that's probably when the majority of your calls are going to come in. Yep. So, our vision for the company is to have a one-stop shop, um, and and ultimately, if somebody has a, a shopping center, office building, whatever it is, they can come to us. They buy it. We manage it. We perform the maintenance duties on it and we do the brokerage, leasing brokerage and ultimate sale brokerage. So yeah. that's, that's really my background in, in, you know, maybe a five to 10 minute spiel. Yeah, no, that's great. And to unpack that a little bit. So, you know, you first, you start off with your age. I love that. And I think, you know, I, I definitely experienced the same thing in my business. And I think a lot of people, when they see you're so young and you're getting after it and you're working really hard that that's a benefit to you because they're saying, Hey, that, you know, this individual is really young. They're putting in the hours, they're working hard. I like, you know, the determination that this person has, I want to work with them. And I think that's great. And you've obviously shown that. Um, and, you know, again, we've worked together. It's been really smooth. We're younger guys. And I like working with other younger guys because as you grow in the business, I'm probably going to grow with you or you're going to grow with me. So as you're becoming larger and getting uh, more clients and you're getting more properties to list and I'm buying them from you, you know, we're going to build that relationship together. And I've got a few other guys that I prefer to work with like the younger guys at brokerages, because I know we can relate a little bit more and grow together versus the 60 year old dude that's on his way out. It's tough. You don't really, you want to build a relationship with him, but he's going to be gone in four or five years when you're still in the ramp up phase of your business. And it's tough because you spent all this time building this relationship and now that individual is gone. So, uh, you yeah. know, the younger, younger guys in this business definitely have to stick together. There's a lot of young, hungry, excited guys that are joining the business, which is definitely good. And that's also uh, changing the business because there's a lot of commercial guys, you know, me being a broker in upstate New York, a majority of the commercial guys are super old guys that have been doing this for 40 plus years. And the problem with that is they're just not taking advantage of technology um, you know, the certain tools that are available to them. So therefore they're becoming obsolete in a sense. And these younger guys, again, are putting their systems and processes in place that they're able to get uh, a little bit more aggressive. So I think that is great. Um, so yeah, let, let's talk about the the current state of the market. So you, you were saying the market's ever changing. We're obviously seeing that um, to give you a kind of a small example of that, and I'll let you, you know, unpack it all. Um, you know, with interest rates increasing so much, having inflation, the Fed's trying to get that under control. Uh, I've seen a direct correlation with that in multifamily pricing, not as much single family pricing where they're really trying to get it under wraps because the market's crazy, um, but in multifamily assets. So, you know, the debt that you're borrowing, if you borrow so low, you could pay a little bit more, but as that debt increases, your borrowing power, the power of your dollar really isn't, uh, isn't going to get you as much. So therefore you have to pull back in price. So uh, what I've been seeing in this last month and a half, two months is 
a lot of deals that our group is on best and final in uh, came back to us and the brokers reached back out and said, Hey, um, here's X, Y, Z deals that you guys offered on. Um, they're back on the market. And I was just like, Hey, you don't have to say it, but is it because the debt fell through, you know, in the final hour? And they're like, yes, it was. Um, so to give you an idea, there was a, a one of them, a 50 unit in uh, North Carolina that we were in best and final on. And we originally offered 7.5 million. And this deal came back to us and I was very upfront with the broker. The price that we offered before is definitely not even close to what we're going to be able to come to this time around. He said, that's fine. The seller's expectations have dropped where he wanted 7.5 before he's now willing to take 6.5. And wow. that, you know, that's a million dollar decrease in value. And yeah. my, myself and the other two groups that made it to best and final, we all put in our bids and we were all hovering around that 6.1 million mark. Um, so even lower than that million, you're almost talking 1.5 million off the price. And all three of us weren't willing to go, you know, one of the other groups I knew I spoke to on the phone, all three of us were not willing to go over that 6.1, 6.2 number. And they actually have brought the deal back to market through the full marketing cycle again at that 6.5. So that's one example. You know, I could go over six other examples of deals that have come back to the table for us. And because of where debt is, we just can't take them down. And, uh, our most recent transaction that we're getting ready to close, um, we had a really strong bid out there, and we had our we always get our debt quoted beforehand just to make sure it's in line with what we think. And we got our LOI accepted, went back to the lender to let them know, and they're like, "Hey, within the last week, you know, our uh, requirements have changed and the rates have increased." And so we simply went back to the seller and we just said, "Hey." We love the deal. We want to work with you guys, but we can't do the number we said. It's either we're going to have to have a $300,000 price reduction or we're unable to do the deal. And because of our reputation with that broker, younger broker that we've worked with before, bought deals with, um, they you know went to their seller and just said, hey, these are good guys. They're going to close. We told them we'd do a 30-day close. So we were pretty aggressive on timeline, um, mainly because we didn't want the rate lock to expire. And the seller was willing to accept our $300,000 price reduction um, on that deal, which was about uh, 8% in price reduction. But that's because of rates. That's what's kind of going on. So um, I know I kind of set the stage for that, but Spencer, you know, tell us what you're seeing, what's changing, what's going on in the market right now. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've always said, uh, I mean, since I mean, I've been predicting uh, a downturn for the last three years and I've been wrong every single year, but <laughs> um, which is just it's just amazing but um you know my my whole thesis is just and it's nothing nothing crazy intelligent it's just simply when interest rates increase that's when there will be a downturn and that hasn't happened except for maybe a little bit what was it uh was it 2019 like early 2019, things right. started to get a little bit weird, but then it rebounded very quickly. Then COVID hit. COVID scared the heck out of people. But the thing about COVID is when COVID sort of started coming out of its shell and things started to rebound, rates either stayed the same or they went lower. And, and well, they did go lower and they continued to go lower. And so people continued to buy stuff. And when you have low interest rates, in an inflationary market, it's a great time to have hard assets. Yes. You can ride that wave, ride the inflation up. But when you have really high inflation rates, the only way 
to combat that and get to a deflationary market so that things are not costing so much money is to increase rates. Yep. And so uh, a few months ago, it came out and the, the, intru- the inflation rates were at like 8%. They, they increased rates. I mean, they went, geez, would they go from like low threes at the beginning of this year to now they're in the fives. Then inflation rates came out again. I think this was like last week. Yep. It was like eight, in the sixes. Yeah, eight, eight percent. And then interest rates are the only way to combat that again is interest rates are gonna have to be increased. Yep. So, you know what that does is exactly what you're saying. It just makes people underwrite deals totally differently. And it's scary. You know, it's really scary, especially there's a lot of people. You know, when you have the agency debt, you can get locked into a good rate for a long term. So you're, yep. typically those guys are going to be okay. But the people that have overpaid for deals and, and deals have only worked simply because the interest rates were low, right? So interest rates are low. They work. The deal works. Cash on cash is okay. But in order, but a lot of those deals that they have, you know, there's a balloon in three, maybe five years coming up. Um yep. And they're full recourse loans, some of them. And so when that balloon hits, if rates are at six, seven, eight percent, they're going to be in a lot of trouble because they either have to simply sell or refinance. And they may not be able to refinance because they overpaid for the deal in the first place because rates were low. Yep. So it gets very, very scary. Um, I think, you know, I think there's going to be a time right now where people are going to get very patient. Um, I think there's still a lot of capital out there, which is a good thing. There's still a lot of money floating around. Um, what I'm a little bit worried about is, is I know cryptocurrency is, is, you know, talked about a lot, but I feel like there's a lot of investors that were maybe in real estate that also were in crypto and crypto is, has really started to, to die over yeah, the last taper back significantly, yeah, significantly. And, you know, those same people that are in crypto, if they're in real estate too, their cash is, they're going to have a limited amount of cash. So the capital might start to die back a little bit as well. Um, I do, the one thing that I will say is I think the difference, and I wasn't around back in, in 2008 when the market crashed, but I think that crash from outside looking in sort of caught people off guard more than what is happening now. Like yeah. people did not expect that to happen. But since that did happen, people have realized that, hey, there's ups and downs in the market constantly. So I work with a lot of clients that have, I mean, a lot of deals that I've sold are from people that, and I don't think you've bought a deal from, from uh, me that, uh, that these people had this expectation. But um, like one client in specific that sticks out to me, a couple of deals that I sold, actually I've sold three deals for him just a mom and pop operator. And he sold his deals because he's like, this is 2008 all over again. And whether you believe that or, or, or you don't, I think there is some truth to it that there are up and downs and we're coming to sort of an end of a cycle and we may already be there. So I personally have a lot of clients that have sold deals or have been holding on to a lot of cash, which will help myself as a broker going forward. But I think that the fundamental problem is, is, is prices have been so high for, for so long. And now these interest rates are rising and new valuations are down here. And I just think it's going to take some time for these two to meet yep. to where deals yep. are going to happen again. 
unless you find a desperate seller, someone that needs cash or whatever it is, you know, they have health problems, whatever it is, they want to retire. Uh, I think there's, there's still going to be a lot of property owners that don't necessarily need to sell. And so they won't sell unless they get a crazy number and they're not going to get a crazy number anymore. Right. And right it's going to take a while for those two things to, to balance with one another. Yeah, m- most definitely. I, I agree with everything you said there and to kind of comment on some of the things. So, you know, not a crypto guy by any means. I'm not going to touch it. I only touch what I know. Real estate's what I know. I'm not interested in learning something brand new, but you look at Bitcoin over the last five days, it's down 27%. Uh, that, that's significant. Uh, I'm not really into hard or I'm only into hard assets. You know, Bitcoin doesn't really seem like one of those hard assets. You know, we can get in that debate, blah, blah, blah. Uh, Spencer, you said it just like I always say it, you know, we make these predictions, these projections, and we're usually wrong. It's the truth. You know, uh, I, I was saying, uh, I spoke to a, a broker who was a broker we worked with, but now he left the brokerage and he's uh, on the uh, acquisition side of the firm. And I just said, Hey, you know, cut it with me straight. Now that you can say it off the record, how many people do you think overpaid for deals in the last two to three years that you were selling property? And he's like, Oh, 70% easily. And he's like, but I said the same thing. He goes in 2018, 2019, when people were paying what they were paying, and he goes and you look at 2020, 2021, 2022, it just kept going up. So he's like, yeah. I'm young. I could be wrong. And that you know prediction could be wrong. So I, I get that standpoint too. And I definitely respect it um, pricing wise. So you, you mentioned you know, uh, you know, balloon payments, things like that. So yeah, you, you had a lot of people who couldn't make agency debt work because it was debt service constrained over the last two to three years. And instead of being low leverage, that 60, 65, maybe even 70% loan to value, they decided to take on uh, bridge debt. Bridge debt has a balloon to that, or it has expensive extensions. And you know, bridge debt doesn't uh, lend on debt service coverage; it lends on debt yield. So, what the property is currently throwing off, and what's projected to throw off the business plan, is put into place. And the problem with that, these guys have underwritten that. Oh yeah, we're going to exit in two years with a refinance at you know three and a half, four percent an interest rate, seventy percent, seventy five loan to value or we're going to sell the asset at 4% cap rate because we bought it at 3.5. And that's not the case. Um, the lowest we ever underwrote to exit any of our deals in great growth markets in North Carolina was 5.8%, 6%, 6.2%. Um, I feel pretty comfortable with those numbers because I'm very conservative. Sometimes my partner DJ tells me I'm too conservative, but right now i am got a big smile on my face because being too conservative is, is what we want right now. And Agency debt, you're getting fixed rate for five, seven, 10 years, depending on what you choose and what you select. And I think the nice part about that is if you bought with agency debt in the last year or two, you're fixed for, like we said, seven to 10 years at a super low rate. But here's the caveat. And here, well, here's the good part is most of those loans are assumable at 1%, one point. So if you want the value for these loans, individuals that have a lot of money or a 1031 exchanging, they're able to put in all that capital into a deal and assume that debt for 1% so they can lock in that 3.2, 3.4, 3.6% interest rate for the remainder of that loan. So, you know, we have a deal right now. Uh, we just received a, a PSA on it and we have 3.49% debt for, uh, I believe, six or seven years. And it's a thir- 1031 buyer. You know, we're debating if we want to go through on that or not. But the nice thing is, this gentleman has all this capital he needs to place. So he doesn't care if he's doing, you know, 20% down or 50% down. He's really looking to assume that super low fixed rate debt 
So that way his capital is safe for X amount of years. And I think that's what's going to uh, secure the value in some of these assets. Because again, if you have that fixed rate debt, you're able to pay the prices that you know we've been commanding in 2021, 2022, versus if you're coming in with fresh debt, you're paying six or 7% right now. And therefore the sale price, or excuse me, the, the purchase price has to reflect that. Does that make sense? Kind of what I'm saying there? Totally, totally. And I think I think you hit the nail on the head there. Um, and it's something I didn't even really think about. Last night I was thinking about, you know, how, how to find people that are willing to sell. And I think one thing is, you know, if people, uh, if, if a property owner owns an asset free and clear, seller financing is going to be much, much more popular yep. than it has been in the last really 10 years. I've only done one seller financing deal ever. And it was because it was a condo deal. Um, even in a great uh, debt market, it was still a tough deal to do. Um, but it was a, the first one, and it was it closed about uh, probably about a month ago. But but the assumable part of it is is a hundred. You're hundred percent correct. And everyone over the last, I mean, I've seen a little bit of loan assumptions happen in my time, but most any time that I brought a loan assumption deal to somebody. They said, I don't want anything to do with that debt. Yeah. And I'm like, you know, it's 4% interest rate. Yeah, well, I can get low threes. I'm like, yep. eh, there it yeah, is. Can't. Don't blame me whatsoever. But in the grand scheme of things, a 4% interest rate, 4.5%, that's still a pretty good interest rate, especially if you can't get that for today. a really long time. You can't right. get that today. Um, I remember I did a deal a few years ago, and I think the interest rate was like 4.5%. And there was a reason that this guy did not assume it other than, you know, just the loan terms, but it was fixed for a full 30 years, I believe wow. at like four and a half percent. And they were like, we don't, we don't want to do that. I'm like, okay, let's think about this. The prepayment penalty is like 800 grand and you want to pay that. And they did. And it was a smart move, move for them to do that. But in an environment like we have right now, someone would jump all over that deal in a heartbeat at four and a half percent fixed for the next a few months later. Right. Not even like like yeah. five years later. It's a few months later, which is nuts. A few months. It's it's absolutely insane. So that'll be something you know maybe to get your hands on as as a real estate investor is to figure out you know because there are different uh, what's that what's that big one called I know I know CoStar started to do it um, where they track loans. What's that big uh, software uh, system? I've got it right here because we've been using it. Uh, C R E D I Q is that one of them? Yeah, Cred IQ. That's one. Uh, that's that one. I like that one a lot. It's a lot more affordable than the other one. I cannot think of the name of the other one. You got Trep. Trep. That's it. Yeah, yep. tre- like a Trep report where you can track those loans as a as an investor to yep. reach out to to find deals to reach out to people that have uh, good debt in place for you know the I mean, next ten even 15, for someone like yourself years. if you're looking for sellers you're looking for totally. someone that has assumable debt I, th- I think a lot of people aren't thinking about that. And, you know, there was one deal in Greensboro that we were looking at and um, the broker was pushing us to assume this debt, assume this debt, assume this debt. And they had, I think they were uh, a Fannie SBL and they were at like 4.5, 4.8%. I was like, listen, we got to take fresh debt on this. It needs fresh debt. We can get low threes versus high fours on what this person has had. And it's only a few years. And I said, and also we're going to be tying up a lot of capital. We don't want to do that if we're assuming because- we'll have to put like 50% loan to value to take on what the balance of this loan is versus the purchase price. And this guy, you know, this broker, he's pushing us to take it. 
And I said, listen, you know, we're going to have all this debt tied up or all this capital tied up. No, you can pull a supplemental out on it. And once you guys do the work and I said, no, you're, you're totally right. But the problem with supplemental is it's always going to be higher than what the initial uh, interest rate is on that senior debt. And so if they're at 4.85, I said, listen, so-and-so you're going to have to take out supplemental debt at mid fives. That's not a good deal. And it really wasn't. And it's true. That property did need fresh debt on it. So you can take out a lower rate and not have such a high or such a low loan to value and then take on that supplemental to, uh, you know, get a higher rate. And so for that reason, we weren't able to do the deal. We just weren't able to come to the number. We walked away and that's fine. You know, we've been super picky these last few months. And I, you know, Spencer, you sent us a bunch of deals and not that the deals were bad or they just didn't look good. It just wasn't what we were looking for. It didn't meet our initial criteria. Um, you know, I won't disclose it, but you know, we talked about one earlier this week, I think, or late last week, and it just didn't work out for where we were at in that market, where we're at with other assets. And again, that's where we're getting super picky. And now's the best time to be picky on our end. Um, you know, the, the deal we're doing right now, totally off market. Like I said, broker brought it to us because we got a good relationship with them. Mom and pop owner, where you know it's their only property. They've had it for ten years. They're retiring. And they let someone live in one of the units to rent out the other units, like super mismanaged. So that's where we're able to, you know, take advantage of that property. And, you know, with one of the suggestions, you know, the Kinley group that you gave us, you know, we're putting them on for management and hopefully they'll bring that. Yeah. Hopefully they'll bring on that. You know, we did due diligence with them, had an asset management meeting tomorrow, just to set expectations for the product or for the project and, you know, bringing that professional management uh, aspect to it. I mean, these rents are 200, 250 below market. So we're super excited about this project. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we, we talked about rates a little bit, you know, certain kinds of debt, what's going on in the market. But putting that aside for a quick minute, Spencer, what as brokers, I know you guys are constantly getting emails, calls. Hey, can you send me some deals? What deals you got? Can you send me the deals? That's like the hot, you know, the hot question you guys get. For those new investors that are looking to jump in, or maybe they're already involved in another market and they're switching to you know a market that you're operating in, what can those investors do? What can those operators do to stand out, grab your attention, not waste your time, and make you willing to work with them? Because if you get someone new who's coming in, has never done this before, and just says, hey, man, I see you got some deals. Can you send them over to me? Or you got off-market deals. What can investors do to combat that, overcome that with you? Yeah, yeah. Uh, close <laughs> yep, <laughs> or yeah. show a history of closing. I mean, right now it's going to—it's really tough, uh, and I can't really totally blame people. The hard money thing—we've seen a lot of that. Um, that's obviously very good. Whether or not that will continue—that is—that's um, to—that's to be determined. If hard money will still still continue, I think that it will. I think that it will. But, you know, when you have interest rates that are constantly changing, how do you put hard money down when interest rates could be at 5% today and 6% tomorrow? Um, how do you do that? And yep. I, I think the answer is you don't. Um, so I think, I think we'll start to see a little bit of that fade off. But if you're a cash buyer, that's huge. That is, that is huge in a time like this. If you're a cash buyer and you can commit to hard money, you don't have to worry about putting debt on it. That is that would be the number one thing to me. Right. Cause uh, that's the wild card right now. You could make that or break is the a wild deal. Card. That, that, that is the total wild card. I mean, I, and I've seen so many properties just lately, just 
hey, and it's exactly what you're talking about earlier is, is, hey, we're going under contract. You know, maybe my buyers missed out on a deal. And then they call me like three weeks later. Guys got cold feet. They didn't sign the PSA, yada, yada, yada. You guys still interested? I'm actually touring a deal today at 11 o'clock. And that exact same scenario happened. I brought an institutional buyer to a deal. I am not the type. I try not to be the type that overpromises and underdeliver. I like to underpromise and overdeliver. So maybe that hurts me sometimes, but I think in, in the grand scheme of things, I think that it helps. And so we didn't win the deal the first time around. You know, I couldn't tell them 100% surety that they were going to close. I told them, look, it's 90% chance. These guys are great buyer, institutional buyer. Well, whoever the broker was on the other side, you know, I think they overpromised and those guys never even made it to contract. And they came back to me two, three weeks later. Hey, do you want to do a deal? Yep, we still want to do it. Um, we got under letter of intent and we're going to go tour today. Hopefully everything goes good. Um, I think that it will. I mean, it's a big group that does it. It's a publicly traded company. Um, but you never know. You really right. never know. Uh, especially in today's market, yeah. In today's market. So I would say that's number one, like, like cash, cash is king. I know we hear that saying all the time. It's so cliche, but cash really is king in a market like this. Number two, too, and I, and I don't say this selfishly, but, you know, this is, you know, this is my livelihood. I have a, I have a family to feed. It's a small family right now, but could grow very quickly. There you uh, go. <laughs> but, uh, you know, when I take, I do a lot of off-market transactions and I like to do deals that make sense in any phase of the market makes sense. So if I take a group of deal that makes a ton of sense, you know, I really have an expectation that when they get that thing stabilized, when they're ready to sell that thing, they will give me an opportunity to sell it for them since I've, you know, hopefully made them a lot of money. Right. Um, so I think that's big. And I, you know, I, I never like require any paperwork or anything like that up front. Like, Hey, if I bring you this deal, you need to sign a listing agreement three years in advance. Like, no, I would never do that. <laughs> right. Um, but I, you know, I like to trust people. So if, if someone you know tells me, Hey, if we like your process, we like everything you're doing and you bring us a good deal, we'll let you, we'll let you sell it for us later down the road. I trust that if they let me do it and I, and I sell it for them later on the road, then we'll keep doing deals together. If they don't, then I just won't work with you again. I mean, it's, yep. it's just business, you know, and that's just kind of how I run my, run my operation is I work with a lot of guys that I like a lot of guys that are, that are not arrogant or think they know everything general down to earth people and, you know, very trustworthy people. So yeah, that's no. really my two cents. I like that a lot. And I'll tell a little story that actually involves you that talks about that a little bit more. So I mm -hmm. uh, Delia sold us. The individual actually reached out to us not too long ago, uh, just for networking purposes. And uh, we got to know each other. We we're talking and I just said, Hey, you know, something I noticed on the closing disclosure when we closed is you paid a lot in, you know, in seller commission, broker commission for that deal. And he was like, yeah, he's like, and, and I'll tell you why. Two brokers we really liked, two brokers that have brought us a lot of deals, two brokers that have made us a lot of money, and we didn't want to give the deal to one and not the other. So we were willing to pay basically double the brokerage, double the commission fee to satisfy both those brokers. And that was you. And I'm obviously, you know who the other broker is. And yeah. 
you know, I, I respect that a lot. I was like, you know, I love that so much that both these guys have brought you deals. Both of them have made you money. So therefore, you know, instead of just listing with both or, or with one, you, you really brought it out to market and listed with both essentially, which is huge. Yeah. And you're willing to pay a little bit extra. So, yeah, I love those guys. And actually that, that was a, that was pretty, pretty awesome because the broker on the other side of the transaction does a ton of deals. Yep. I oh, have yeah. seen him do a lot of deals <laughs> and, but I had never talked to him or his company at all. And so we got brought into this listing together and he's about my age. And I mean, we hit it off instantly. And since that deal, I have done probably about five, working on six, seven, eight deals with this guy. In a all off market, life. right? All off market. And, yep. you know, it's a combination of, hey, I got a deal off market. Do you have a buyer? Him, hey, I don't really do this type of asset. Do you have somebody? Because we we do a lot of multifamily, but we do investment real estate is what we do. Right. Um, and the reason we've done a lot of multifamily is because it's you find a good property, you sell that property. Period. Yep. Um, but we've done a lot of retail. We've done a lot of office. We've done industrial flex. We even we even do a lot of land, um, which is not my favorite, but <laughs> it's really not because closing will literally take a year. But, yeah. <laughs> but if you stack a lot together, it's not bad. But we do a lot of different types. So when these other brokers that have worked with me in the past say, hey, all we do is multifamily. What do you have for the shopping center? You know, I have a handful of people I can go to. Yep. Yeah. No, I think that's great. And you, a lot of you brokers are competing against each other. But at the end of the day, you guys are able to work together like you just described there. And, you know, that other party, uh, great individual. Uh, we've definitely looked at some stuff together. Nothing that's worked out yet, but, you know, still trying to work something out. And that's where you guys can help each other out, you know, and I think it makes it really tough also for, you know, investors, buyers on deals, operators, where maybe you guys, it's off market. So there's no official listing agreement and both you guys bring the same deal sometimes, you know, that's happened. I'm not saying it's happened with you, but it's happened with yeah. two brokers we've worked with. And we're like, you know, it's, it's tough and you have to work something out there. So it's a very delicate business and you got to be careful. And, you know, also you got to, us as operators have to be understanding that you guys are doing what's best for the seller sometimes too. And uh, like I said, very, it's a very delicate business, but relationships are more important than any dollar figure that, you know, that we can make. Oh yeah. Big, big time because relationships will make you more money in the long run than a short game. Short exactly. Game. Yeah, no, I completely agree. Uh, Spencer, anything else you wanted to touch on real quick before we switch over to our next segment of the show? Mm, I think I'm good. Let's, yeah, let's we've covered going. a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, we're going to switch over to the curious cues. So this is the segment of the show where we ask you a few questions. We ask all of our guests. We'll get our answers from you. Are you ready? Yeah, let's do it. All right. Favorite podcast you enjoy listening to? Yours. No, oh, I'm just oh, kidding. shucks. <laughs> I was just kidding. If I had a dollar no, for every not, time not a guest said that. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? That's good to say. I bet everybody says that. Honestly, <laughs> I don't listen to podcasts. Not a big podcast listener. So we'll, we'll put mine in there. Perfect. Uh, yeah, that's I good. Mean, seriously, I've listened to yours. I've listened. Honestly, I couldn't even tell you because I just, I really don't listen to podcasts. I mean, I'm, I'm a big fantasy football guy. So I actually do listen to a fantasy football podcast. Um, doesn't you know, have to be real estate related, so that could work. 
Yeah, so fantasy footballers. I love that's a good podcast. I don't know if you do fantasy football, but like if I had another job, I would go probably do fantasy football. <laughs> just, there you go. I love love watching the NFL. Love love uh, love every aspect of Who's it. Who's your team? Carolina Panthers. Carolina Panthers. I wonder why that is. That's weird. Uh, <laughs> yeah, which is uh, man, it's kind of hard to say. I guess I guess it could be worse but man the uh the panthers have been in a very odd phase since cam newton you know hit his decline it's okay you could be a dolphins fan you know (laughs) well hey are you a dolphins fan i'm not no they've had a comeback yeah dolphins are kind of on the rise i think the lions i'm glad i'm not a lions fan that that just doesn't seem like you're ever going to get out of that cycle or the Jets, which I think DJ's a Jets fan. I wish he was here so I could pick on him a little bit. I know, right? It's funny you remember that. That's good. That's good. Yeah. No, that's awesome. Um, how about uh, favorite book? So what uh, book book or books do you enjoy reading or have read? Are you not a book reader either? No, I read books. It's okay. not as much as I'd, I'd like to. Uh, I really enjoy it once I get my hands on a book. For a really long time, I was reading uh you know, just strictly like business minded books. And my wife was like, try and try a, a fictional uh, novel. And, and I'm like, yeah, I don't want to read that crap. Like that's yeah. not for me, but I started reading like some John Grisham novels and I really enjoy John Grisham as a, as an author. Um, but a nonfiction novel, um, I would have to say everybody always picks rich dad, poor dad. That's a good one. I like multifamily millions. If anybody's read that, like if you don't know David Lindahl. Yeah. If you don't know anything about multifamily, that is such an easy book to read. Actually, when, when we hire new brokers, I give them that book. Yeah. I say, read this. Even if you're not doing multifamily, you need to understand how real estate investing works and you can apply this to everything. So read that book. And it's, it's so easy. You can knock it out in like a weekend. Um, never split the difference is, is another really good book. Yep. Very popular. Try to look on my bookshelf and see if there's, well, I'll, I'll, while you're doing that, I'll touch on that, you know, uh, multifamily millionaires or multifamily millions. It, you know, that book was really good to me. So I was reading that on a flight on the way to a real estate conference I was speaking at. And, um, one thing that really settled in, I kind of knew the concept, but it really made sense to me. Was he, you know, Dave was talking about how you're in the business to buy real estate, not manage real estate. And how he's saying you shouldn't be managing your own assets. You should be outsourcing that, have a professional third party in place. And I think that's huge because especially, you know, when I first got started, when I was uh, late teens, call it, you know, 19 uh, years old, and I started buying property, I was buying duplexes locally and single families and I was self-managing them and I wanted to uh, set the houses on fire. Um, it was just awful. And, <laughs> yeah. it, you know, I could go on for, for stories. I mean, stories with, with, you know, what I experienced in those few short years. And I was like, if I don't stop doing this, I'm going to hate investing in real estate. I'm going to be a burnt out landlord at the young age of 20, 21, you know? And yeah. uh, as soon as I sold those off and started build, buying some build, bigger assets and hiring professional property management, that's when it clicked. And that's what I always tell people. They're like, you know, what advice would you give to real estate investors? And I always say outsource your management. That'll make a world yeah. of difference. You know, you can focus on the business, not in the business. 
you can work on acquiring more assets, not managing the ones you already have. So I think that's, that's pretty big. Um, yeah. And, and here's, here's the beauty of that because you, you've done management is if a deal works with third-party management, if worst case scenario, now, if you get too big, it's, it's tough, but worst case scenario market turns, but you still know the management aspect, you could manage it yourself. Yep. If things get really, really tough. Yeah. And you never want to have to do that, but Correct. If you have yep. to, and, and you pick up another 20, 30, 40, $50,000 in NOI by managing it yourself, that will make the world a difference. And it might save you from having to sell that asset. You're hundred percent right. And I think, you know, the caveat to, you know, putting in for third party property management, me hating managing, is it also really helped because I understood the management game. I now understand what it entails, you know, what are minimum requirements for getting uh, tenants in? Where are you advertising? How you're handling it? So it, it helps me understand the business a little bit more. Um, so you know, I think that's super important. Um, Spencer, biggest hurdle in real estate you've had to overcome throughout your career? Hmm. I think the biggest hurdle and this is not like deal specific, it's just in general, is when I first started, I had really no experience. I had no clients. I didn't have anybody passing me clients. So everything that I did was all on my own. And, but I had to make money. And so yep. I did a lot of leasing and I did a lot of small deals. And, and I still don't do like huge 50, 20, 30, hundred million dollar deals, but you know, I, rarely take a deal less than a million dollars. Now, the biggest hurdle I had to overcome was realize that really the bigger deals, if they're not just as easy, they may be easier and stop doing these small deals because you deal with more sophisticated people that aren't going to run around the bush. They don't have these personal attachments a lot of times. Yep. And, and the checks are bigger. And it took me a while to really understand that because I was so naive to the fact that, hey, these guys that are you know, doing 20, 30, $40 million deals, they're no different than you or I. Just yep. because they got bit an extra zero or two at the end of it, you know, they're just, they're really, they're just like us. And so I would encourage, and I encourage all of my brokers to, not, I'm not saying turn around away small deals. If they come to your plate, you know, maybe there's time and place where you need to take it. But don't chase after like two or three hundred thousand dollars sale. Don't chase Correct. after a fifteen hundred square foot lease that's going to be a fifteen hundred dollar commission. It's just not worth it in the grand scheme of things. Yep. No, I, I think that's huge. You know, at the end of the day, would you rather do ten one million dollar deals or one ten million dollar deal? You know, those ten one million dollar deals are going to take ton, 10 times the effort and 10 times the work to get done one of those one $10 million deals. And it's going to be worth the same. One deal is going to be worth the same as 10 deals. And I think that's huge. And what you said, you know, don't chase after the small ones, but if they fall in your lap, go throw them up on the market, blast it on your email list. If you, if you get some feelers, you get some biters and, and you sell the deal, that's gas money is what I tell myself. So, you know, my dad, he's uh, been a broker for 18 years. And he does a phenomenal job. He sells mainly mid to high end homes in our area. 
And he's like, yeah, I got this lead for this, you know, $100,000 house. I just really don't want it. And I just said, dad, listen, you got the lead. It came to you. You didn't have to spend time to chase it down. Go sign the listing agreement, go throw it up in the market. There's your car payment for the month, or there's two car payments for the month. I said, that's gas money to get you where you got to go to get the bigger ones. And he's like, he's like, son, you're so right. And one of those, you know, prideful moments where I was right to the father, you know, and (laughs) he's like, you know how many deals I probably threw away over the years that were just small ones. I just didn't want the headache and I didn't want to do it. And I said, no, I get it because I also don't like doing the small deals. When I got started, I was chasing them down left and right, 50, 60, $70,000 deals. But that was to get me where I am today. And like I said, it's it's gas money to get you where you got to go. Just throw it to the side. Don't give it all your effort. Don't give it all your time. But if it hits... It's, it's free money essentially is what it is. Um, And, and, you know, I I think that's huge, but obviously it's a little different when you're an operator, you know, we're not going to take down a million dollar deal just to take it down. We're going to not waste our equity on that. We're going to put it towards a larger deal. So it's a little different on the operator side for the brokerage side for you, Spencer, you know, I think that's, that's great advice. And does it take some more effort to get those clients for the 10 or $20 million buildings? Most definitely it does, but Mm -hmm those deals could also turn into bigger deals and you're representing those, you know, higher end buyers. And like you said, there's a lot more, a lot less emotions to it. It's more of a transaction. It's a business transaction and they're not all over the place and they have admins that are taking care of stuff. So I, you know, I think that's huge. Um, love what you had to say there. How about uh, favorite non real estate related hobby? I know you kind of talked about a few things you, you do, but something you really enjoy doing in your free time. <clears throat> yeah, probably golf. I, I okay. love playing golf. Yeah. And I really, I really, I've been playing a lot of golf lately and uh, I'm not a spectacular golfer by any means, but I hit it far. And sometimes it goes, most of the time it goes out of bounds, which really stinks. But um, I've, <laughs> I've started to, you know, I used to have the biggest temper when I played golf because, you know, other sports have come really naturally for me, to me. So like basketball, football, anything like that, I pick it up and it comes real natural. Golf is one of those where it's not so much about athleticism. It's right. more about skill. And so it's, I used to get so mad every time I'd lose a golf ball or whatever, but I've really dialed that back a lot. I've, I've sort of looked at golf as like business, not, not in a game. sense of like, yeah, exactly. Not even, not even really as a sense of like, Hey, let's go do business on the golf course. But as in like, Carry yourself, yourself. Yep. on the golf course like a business person. Do I blow up on people on the phone and get mad at them and stuff like that when I do business? No. So why would I do that? Why would I get all emotional when I play golf? So I think That's it's kind of actually helped me in both aspects of golf and business, which is kind of kind of interesting. But I really want to get to a point where I can take some lessons. I've just been so busy, but I do want to take some lessons and really fine tune the golf game soon. Yeah, no, I, I hear you on that. And I would love to, same thing, take some lessons, get better. I haven't picked up the clubs in about a year. And that's because we had a baby. So it's been like, I want to get out there. I want to enjoy, but like free time, totally taken up. And it uh, doesn't surprise me that, you know, basketball comes naturally to you. You're a pretty tall guy. What, what are we, six foot what? Yeah, probably in shoes, I'd say six, one and a half. Six, one and a half. <laughs> I, and I think that's funny because when we first met, we, for due diligence on that property, I met you and I was like, oh, wow, you're a lot taller than, you know, I expected. And I was like, I'm probably a lot shorter than you expected. You know, I'm only like five, 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 four. So yeah, like, no offense. I was like, man, that's uh, you can't tell you're only like five, five. I actually have a 
one of my best friends is about your your height too and I always pick on him <laughs> but the funny thing is when I grew up I was never the tallest I was actually always really? the shortest really I was the the latest bloomer probably in my entire high school like <laughs> there's there's photos if you go on my Facebook page there's photos of me I remember when I was a freshman in high school I was five foot four 96 pounds wow. as a freshman in high school and I got dragged into the wrestling room because I was so small. They didn't have any one of three pounders. Mm. And just to make a long story short, I hated wrestling, but I would eat like a pig all the time, never gain any weight or anything. And all the other wrestlers were in there just sweating Walking up. Yeah. Yeah. And it was just, it was, so it was really funny. So I, throughout my entire life, I had been the shortest person and I hit this massive growth spurt from like, Late junior year of high school to senior year, I went from like five six to like six foot one in like a matter of two years. It's kind of crazy. Spencer, you're giving me lots of confidence. I'm gonna hit like a 25 year old growth spurt. I'm gonna yeah, gain I mean, five inches. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's still maybe a little bit of time. I, I yeah. think you start stop growing at like I don't know, like 26, 27, but. I think I'm that all ship. done. <laughs> yeah, man. I think that ship might have sailed, but for the people... sake of my wardrobe too, I hope like I'm all done. But it's funny because uh, a deal we recently did due diligence on. You know, you don't meet the broker in person until you get there, and this broker gets out of the car. I swear, this dude is like six two, six three. He's just behemoth. And I was like, dude, you are so much taller than I expected. <laughs> and he's like, I could say the same. You know, I could say the same for you, and it's true. Uh, people always, you know. I, I guess they think I'm like five nine, five ten, maybe, and then they see me and I've dropped a whole half a foot. So it's just kind of funny. <laughs> funny. Um, good things come in small packages. What can you say? Uh, <laughs> newbie advice for you. So, what advice would you give to someone who's looking to get started uh, brokering commercial real estate? Yeah, I, I would say know your stuff mm, and, yep. and and figure out what you're going to do. Um, I, I'm not saying you need to specialize in anything. Um, I'm a generalist. I did that because I had a vision of starting my own firm. So I wanted to, I wanted to be able to know everything and be able to coach people for every right. type of real estate. I do think it would be very wise for people to specialize in maybe a couple of different things. If you want to specialize just in investments or anything like that, I would say it's, it's, uh, it's very wise to just really know your stuff. And if you want to wait, before you start cold calling and having meetings to actually know what you're doing and know what you're talking about. That's not a bad idea. Read books, go to YouTube, shoot, go to TikTok. There's so many different things where you can learn um, just due to how much technology we have. And I think just, just know what you're talking about because the worst thing that you can do is have a potential great client and make yourself look like a fool because you don't know what you're talking about and you'll never work with that person again. Yeah. No, no, your, you know, real estate vocab. I think that's, you know, commercial real estate vocab, you know, definitions, words, formulas, what is this? What is that? I think that's super important because, you know, if you're talking to a broker and he says X, Y, Z, and you're like, I, I don't know what the gross potential means. Like, you know, you're done. You're, you you you're, fried it right on the spot. <laughs> you're, you're toast. You're toast. So you're toast. Now, now, Spencer, this has been awesome. I really appreciate you. you know, I know you're super busy, so I appreciate you carving out some time to chat with me. Um, if you don't mind, just you know, drop into the listeners 
some contact information for yourself? Where can they find you? Where can they connect with you if they would like to? Yeah, sure. So uh, I don't know if he's, if you ever said my last name, but Spencer Krigler is my full name. Uh, One Alliance Companies, you can, you can find us www.onealliancecompaniesies.com. Um, feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn. If you shoot me a, a DM or, or, um, you know, like my page or whatever, just, just, just hit me up and we can, we can grab coffee if you're local or dinner or whatever. Um, my LinkedIn page, you probably just search me by Spencer Krigler, but again, I'm uh, the director of brokerage services slash co-founder of one Alliance companies and, and would love to talk to anybody that's looking to, um, invest in real estate, anybody that currently has stuff that they're thinking about selling, um, either off market or on market or anybody that really is new into the business. Cause I was a young guy. I still am a young guy. And I got into it at a young age and just want to bounce some thoughts or ideas off of me. Would love to help. Awesome. Well, again, Spencer, appreciate your time. Always enjoy chatting with you, having these great conversations. And I look forward to doing another deal with you hopefully soon. Yeah, sounds good. Dante, thanks so much for having me on. Thanks for listening. We hope you were able to take some value away from today's episode. For more information or to connect with Dante, visit victorycapgroup.com. See you next week.